No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Today, I have my good friend and a guy with a very, very interesting story to tell, Ryan Mills, on the podcast. Hello. So the the story that we're going to tell, in short, today is about Ryan Mills, young, professional BMX rider coming up in the world, who then, at a certain point, gets into some bad stuff, and then basically uh, manages to weave his way past that bad stuff and end up where you are today, where you're a happy, healthy individual here to tell the tale. Yeah. Basically. Shockingly. Yeah. So wh where are you from a little bit? And let's talk about just you getting into bike riding in the first place. Okay. Um, I'm from a little town called Boulder City, which is right outside of Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of like where my BMX journey began. And, uh, you know, just normal little kid shit riding around just for fun, like after school, and just started doing it all the time. Were you talented from a young age? Did you feel like people were looking at you like you had a lot of potential? Uh, I feel like I picked it up pretty quick. Um, got a hold of like a camera and did like the normal sponsor me video type of deal for like just on my own. So you were sponsored at a young age? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, we had an inner bike in Las Vegas. So right. like, very I good would, place like, to get sponsored. Yeah, yeah, so I would just take the tapes there and just hand them to people and like got a. With GAC BMX was like one of the first ones. GAC, wow, yeah. it's been a while, yeah. Yeah, and they were like flowing me stuff. I think I was 16, probably. Then. Okay. Yeah, so started picking up then, and then uh, started like uh, there was like a time in Vegas where like the airport bought out all the all these houses for like more of to expand. Okay. And there was just like a ton of pools. And we were riding all these pools all the time. And then like a dude from Dig BMX came through and that's how I got like my first photo in a magazine was okay. like, he just like shot a pool carve. Right. And I think I was like 17 then. So it's like from high school and then like into college, it started like just picking up a lot. And did you have it in your head that you were gonna be a pro rider or did you think that you were gonna make like a good living from riding or what, in, did you know any pros? Like what was your idea of what it, this whole journey you were on was gonna be like? Um. I don't, I, I, I don't know, that's a hard one to, it wasn't like a, it, it was like obviously like a dream like to do that, but it wasn't like in, you know, my cards. It's like, not like you were so aware of what this was going to be like that you like had a vision. Yeah, of, like, I was just like having fun with it and then like starting to get noticed more and more and then like just meeting people and started going to contests and stuff and like meeting more people meeting walter perringer he asked me to be in the mutiny video mm. without like being on mutiny so it was kind of weird wow but so like all this stuff kind of happened and people just come through vegas all the time to ride so like people started hooking me up and then i got a cover on bmx plus the same time the mutiny video came out and then like a bunch of people started calling nice yeah. okay w was getting fucked up part of your youthful existence at this point because from my memories of being a young bmx rider it was like very very cool to be straight edge for a long time and then maybe at some point in there like especially as the people that i was around started to get older then it was kind of became more of a oh cool let's go get drunk thing yeah uh yeah it was it was cool to be straight edge for sure i remember that period um but like i i had like knee problems when i was 16 like pretty quick and it was like every time I'd pedal, it would be like painful. So mm. I'd start going to pain doctors and uh, getting prescriptions. I didn't like realize it was like going into drugs. So like that kind of like introduction to it was like just like a slow, steady, like 
I'm doing this and not not realize I'm getting fucked up. And then like around like 18 or so, I was like started like getting drunk all the time and like going to parties and like doing like oh I'm a BMXer go party deal. So you were getting what like Vicodins from the yeah the doctor yeah so okay uh, with Vicod or Percocets or something when you were 16. But so you were taking them to what just be able to ride? Yeah yeah so I'd be at first it was like obviously like by the script but even less than that and uh at you know for a few years it's just like you know wasn't running out of pills but eventually i started running out of pills early i'm just like taking them all the time right and then at some point i i just like took a couple and like felt that opioid rush type of thing and i was just like oh shit this feels fucking great right and then from from that point i was probably like i think i it was it wasn't long like after i remember the columbine shooting or maybe it was like yeah something like that columbine shooting. i think i was in eighth ninth grade yeah. 99 yeah and uh that yeah i remember like seeing that on the news and like feeling that high at the same time and so it was like from then on i was like always like trying to get pills everywhere like find more doctors to get more prescriptions and so forth and had it really occurred to you that the doctors were basically giving you pills that were, you know, turning you into a drug addict? Or, or in did, your mind, yeah. was it still like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing what the doctor gave me, so yeah. there's nothing in, wrong with this? In so. my mind, it's like, this is fine. It's like totally legal stuff. It's like everyone uses them. Like, this is their solution to my pain. So mm -hmm. this is the only solution they gave me. So right. that's what I'm going to take. And it's pretty crazy to think about it now that the doctors who are giving you that shit, that they weren't explaining to you in any way the risk, right? I would right. assume. No. Yeah. I mean, I, like on the pill bottles, like these can be addictive, but right. it's like, I never thought I had a problem. I was like actually talking today about it. Um, realizing the point of the first withdrawal that I felt was I was like 21 living in Portland I woke up one day and I was just like, felt like I had the flu. I was just like, oh man, I feel fucked up. Right. And I popped a pill and like 15 minutes later, that whole feeling went away. And I was like, oh, this is withdrawing. Like, this is what that feels like. I didn't, because the whole time I was just like, oh, I, I don't get withdrawal. I'm not addicted. So, so you went all those years without running out because yeah. they were pretty easy yeah. to come by and you had different doctors yeah. who were really writing your prescriptions and stuff. Yeah. And it was a pretty low, like, do like dose going through it. Like, like taking it responsibly type of thing right and then once i was living in portland it was just like a party every day i had a apartment with like eddie cleveland and a bunch of like you know ben hucky all those like dudes were there and we're all partying all together every single day right uh and just like living together right and that's when i realized i was like oh i need these pills and it's like it was kind of and what was it like drinking on top of also being on the pills like how did that change the whole thing uh uh, I could handle a lot of shit, so it was like, because I was on it for so long, I didn't really correlate it. Right. But I was like, obviously mixing the whole time, and so like infinitely easier to get blackout drunk. Oh yeah, there was yeah. I mean, I was I was probably drunk, stoned, and on pills the entire time in Portland. Right. Like, and then just downfall from there. But it it felt like your BMX like your BMX career was all coming together throughout all of this right, so yeah. like you were riding at like a fairly high level despite being fucked up right yeah well I mean I, I filmed the entire premium products video pretty much in Portland that entire time I was just I remember seeing clips I filmed with Shad one day I remember seeing the clips a couple weeks later uh -huh. all, all like 
I was zannied out filming the clips mm. and I like 180 over a dumpster and like some shit. I was just like, wait, I do not remember that. Really? But, yeah. So it was pretty intense and had like a couple little like close overdoses and shit like up there. Wow. So, yeah. Do you think that it was kind of, did it make you fearless that you were all fucked up and that you couldn't really comprehend the risk or yeah possibly yeah Yeah. make me like huck myself more than i would have or at the same time i feel like it would be so hard to like ride well when you're all fucked up on pills because it's just got to be hard to be coordinated or to feel strong and shit well once you're like on it for that long like you funk you're functioning and like when you don't have it you're not functioning so you're you're feeling like just like your equilibrium's off when you're riding and like so i would have to take pills to like be able to go ride a skate park or like I like I look back I got a old BMX magazine I did an interview in and I was just like shocked at the shit I was saying in it and just like really? like explain a day start the day take two pills you so said like, it yeah. in the magazine yeah just like yeah and this is before you had acknowledged that you had an issue or whatever yeah yeah what what was this printed in who was allowing uh, this to be printed I think it it was Ride UK really yeah and they were just acting like it was like a funny I mean I don't know they I mean, I didn't like do it in person, so it was just like an email interview. Okay. And I just like that was my answer. Is like, wow, take them. You know, that's crazy. Yeah, holy so. shit. Um, but okay, so how f- for the people out there, how would you explain like how your BMX career went? Like, would you, you would you say you ever reached the point where you were like feeling like a comfortable, well-paid professional? Uh, no. Well, no. I mean, yeah, I was always struggling. It was like, I think maybe some. BMX companies were kind of wise to like me being fucked up all the time really? and like maybe that held them back from wanting to give me a paycheck or something but yeah I never like was like in a comfortable position I was always struggling uh like getting helped out by my parents like for rent and stuff like while I was in college the BMX a dream right there yeah it was just like yeah just not eating and it was just like you know kind of hell it's kind of I mean BMXers really don't get paid that much now anyway but like at, at my like my uh probably my peak for like money wise it was uh, i had a deal with monster it was like twelve thousand a year oh really? yeah and then that was pretty much it like photo photo contingencies and whatever else like added a little bit to it but right. yeah would you say that through being fucked up did you ever start to like lose your love of bmx throughout those years or lose touch of why you were riding or, or what this was all about for you yeah I, I i remember a moment thinking what what the fuck am i even doing like what just like little kid bike tricks like this is like i need to grow out of this type of thing mm-hmm. and like just like not understanding the fun part of it anymore and it was like a, always like a business struggle like i'm not getting paid this is fucked up like i'm like killing myself and like just not getting anything for it like what's the fucking point anymore and i remember just like like kind of fading away and as the drugs were more on my mind to like i need to get drugs was like the main concern of the day Mm. and so and the bmx just kind of fell off pretty quickly damn yeah okay so yeah when did it start to get really bad like when did your life kind of start to fall apart as a result because it feels like you did a pretty good job of holding everything together for for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I, I graduated college, broke up with my girlfriend, uh, and quit riding all in like the same couple months. Uh-huh. And so like everything, everything just kind of became like a drug thing. And I was like hustling pills, hustling like learning like the stealing game of shoplifting, and uh, 
like kind of like getting in trouble every once in a while with the law. So, so that transformation where you kind of realize at a certain point, like, oh, I'm going to need more money than I could possibly make through anything legal, so I'm going to have to start yeah. stealing and shit. What was, like, yeah. the introduction to that like? Well, well, it, well, like, the habit was to a point with the pills before I, like, started doing heroin was it was, like, getting to, like, 120 150 $180 a day. Jeez. And so, like, a pill is $10 anywhere 10 to 15 dollars i'm doing like almost 20 pills a day and i'm not and people are just like oh dude just do heroin just do heroin it's fucking cheaper because these are like the people i'm hanging out with now I and mean, you you're trying to hold off on yeah. going into yeah, that because you kind of yeah, know I that this is like, where this it is, is heroin there's like, no coming back for this right. i could take 15 pills a day but at least i'm not doing heroin right and then you know obviously you remember i remember taking the first heroin ever and i was like this is exactly like pills yeah so but like the the stealing introduction was just like out of necessity, um, but I ended up meeting like this like graffiti artist slash like racker like stealer, shoplifter like kind of god. Shout out to all the taggers. Right, he was a god, so <laughs> yeah, he was, was like, like really a, official was, with this. Yeah, shit? he was official. But he wasn't a drug addict. He was just he, really no, he into was graffiti. A drug addict. Oh, he it, okay. Mainly meth, but like he's he started doing a little heroin with me, and I started doing a little meth with him and mixing like that. Oh, that's but sweet. we, I had a car, and he would just be on my couch all the time getting like fucked up and then we he would like take me under his wing and like show me the ropes and then i ended up becoming extremely good at the shoplifting what was like the the central crop that you were going out there and uh, taking from its owners in the beginning it was like jeans like go get like 20 pairs of jeans and that will get you like 400 dollars in drugs and the, how would you sell them you would return straight them? to the drug dealers oh yeah you, they, and you sell the jeans to them yeah wow yeah, just trade straight for drugs. So it's like you get a, a $100 pair of Levi's and it turns into $20 of heroin, basically. Right. So it probably seems like a pretty good deal for right. you in that position. Oh, yeah, you yeah. just walk into a store, take a stack of 10 or 20 jeans, and you walk out and you have, like, a ton of money. <laughs> that was your yeah. way of doing it, though? There was yeah. nothing more slick than that? Well, you just pick it up and th- walk out? There were uh, different creative ways, but, like, at times it would just go in, pick it up, walk out. But also there's like times where you just go into the dressing room, put 10 pairs on, mm-hmm. put a fucking couple hoodies on, and then you just look like a fat dude walking out of the fucking store. That's an underrated uh, way of doing it. I was watching some graffiti video the other day, and the guy just walks into fucking Home Depot, fills up the whole cart with spray paint, and then just yeah, walks just the walks fuck out. out. And my girl's watching it with me, and she's just like having a hard time wrapping her head around how this is possible. And I'm like, I mean, think about it. Nobody's looking at him. Like, no, right. like it's like, if you're that bold. Yeah. You know, that goes a long way. I mean, I was doing that with groceries for same people, like, and, you know, uh, going in and getting, like, nice steaks, whole cart full, walking out, and that's a ton of money. Wow. Like, yeah, and it's quick. So, at this point, you had completely left BMX behind, I'm guessing? Yeah, that was, it was, didn't even touch bike, think about a bike, look at anything to do with bikes, and that was, like, for, you know, for five or six years of just, like, completely being out of it. Wow. Yeah. So you get really into the stealing. Yeah. And how does that sort of transform? I'm assuming you didn't just stick with stealing the same thing over and over? Yeah, I mean, you get higher-end stuff, like nice $15,000 bags and finding You stole $15,000 bags? How the fuck are you stealing those? (laughs) Just like, you know, gotta get creative. I'd walk into the store, like a lot of them would be locked down. Some's on the mannequin, they're just chilling. 
swoop it real quick, be real smooth, have a backpack on, flip the backpack up, throw the bag underneath it, backpack slams your back, you walk out the store. But a $15,000 bag is like, you're talking about like the high-end stores in yeah, the mall. Yeah. So there's got to mm-hmm. be like a lot of security. Oh, there's eyes on it for sure. But yeah. you just like, if you're slick, you know where cameras are. Like you study every fucking aspect of what's going on, where, when the security is there, what security is there. Like I had a whole map of, the, of Vegas, like the strip was just like, a playground for me so it was an average day like you wake up and you get fucked up and then you go steal a bunch of shit so that you can get more fucked up or is it kind of like you wake up you have nothing so you have to go out and steal in order to get fucked up that night it's a it's a little of both uh if the obviously like you're when you wake up and you have nothing like which would happen sometimes or like someone would rob you in your sleep and shit like that you wake up and have nothing, you're in panic mode, in desperation mode, and that's when you kind of get caught up. Mm. Like I would get, I went to jail 14 times, like basically for shoplifting, but in like a eight year span. Right. Yeah, you know, so it's like pretty every day of doing that. That's so not bad. That is pretty good actually, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty astounding. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever get in serious trouble for shoplifting or not really? It, yeah, it started like, towards the end it started getting worse and worse, like the penalties and like, there's like, he's not going to stop so we're going to give him more time more time right and as then, cops at a certain point it's like well what yeah. the fuck are we going to do if this yeah. guy's just going to keep doing yeah. this my for the ne- rest of our lives my neighborhood where i was like you kind of like stay around the same neighborhood because that's where you know where to sell shit and the people you know the drug addicts you know right that neighborhood like every cop knew my name every, like and they would just like run up on me at times and right just like, yeah because yeah. i'm trying to picture you being at the mall being like a super bad drug addict and just like sort of lurking around the gucci yeah. store and it's kind of hard for me to imagine you not just standing out a lot at a certain point yeah uh so at points yeah like those desperate times but like for the most part you're you can go play the part because you're you can get any of that shit yourself so i'm wearing Gucci shit and I'm wearing I'm walking in there and I'm like clean it up and walk in there and just you know get whatever right yeah did you ever have any like crazy fucking heists like anything like that really that you took it to another level uh we did uh yeah what well, we started going out with like crews kind of and it would be a little better we'd have like kind of like our own security people like the knockout man at the so door. if somebody tried to stop so you they would just you, fuck them up they stop them yeah and we would do like go in and like true religion say uh-huh. and everyone goes in and fucking grabs and runs out like and they had stacks like just on tables right and that's like three hundred dollars a pair wow so and so you would just how do you form a crew in that sense like the, the like it, it seems like you know they, they say there's no honor amongst thieves it feels like it would be kind of hard to like bring people together for that goal right well it just kind of like organically happens but for the most part, like, I guess our crew, there was, like, a little bit of honor amongst us, and we always, like, would help each other out when, like, in need for, like, drugs and shit. Uh-huh. But also, at the same time, they're the same people robbing you and, like, looking, helping you look for your drugs, mm. you know? So it's, like, you can trust them for the most part, like, when it comes to, like, us against the the law, but, like, when it's us against us, it's, like, I don't fucking But you talk them. about people stealing from you in your sleep as if that was just this, like, painfully uh, normal so occurrence. Much, yeah, all the time, yeah. Because really? you, you, you're not out doing heroin, you're mm. fucking out. They just fucking rummage your pockets, to like, just look through your bags and just take whatever. Right. And so was it always opiates and heroin for you, or, or when did it start to transform into other stuff? Yeah, it was, it was for the most part, 
uh, well, the pill, like the pills got to be too much. So I just like quit. I was like getting prescriptions still, but like selling them to get heroin. Cause at a certain point that stuff just becomes useless. Yeah. And then like you kind of like start shooting the heroin because everyone's telling you, oh, you save money and you can make it last longer. So you get to a point where you're just shooting all day. So shooting is the ultimate in comparison to like smoking it. Cause I was talking to somebody the other day who was talking about smoking heroin and saying that that was, oh no, I was talking to Big Head and he was talking about smoking heroin or other drugs because then you can do it you can moderate it more yeah. instead of like if you pop a fentanyl pill right. then you're you might die you're, but if you, yeah, if you do it little by little you're less likely to you're die less likely to die if you're smoking like you're, you're not going to get to the point where you're going to overdose smoking just regular heroin if there's fentanyl in there yeah you could but like just regular heroin you're going to pass out before you get to the point where you're overdosing but right. you're shooting you just sometimes the heroin's stronger and you just you know Fucking, you're out. But shooting it up gives you that fucking shooting, crazy moment you, where you yeah. just really get fucking plastered super fast. Yeah, and then like you're, I was like mixing it with coke too, so it was just like stay awake and feel it. Wow. And like it's like this euphoria high thing that was like very attractive at the time, and uh, but I got to a point where I had lit like abscesses all over my entire arms. My veins were all collapsing, and I was shooting and missing and not getting that high for like, you know, years. So you could fuck up and if you miss the vein, you, you just shot the heroin into like your- Into your muscles and then and if, it, if any little infection on your, or like dirt in your arm goes in there, you get an infection. And like, you're not, you're not obviously thinking about cleanliness when you're shooting heroin. Right. Like, and uh, so, yeah, your veins end up collapsing. And you, if you have coke in there, you can't even feel if you're missing because it numbs you. Right. And, uh, uh, it's pretty intense, but I ended up quitting shooting up, and once dabbing came around for weed, or dabs or whatever, whack, So you started doing dabs? I started dabs? dabbing heroin. Oh, dabbing heroin. Yeah, okay. I yeah. started dabbing heroin and dabbing weed. How was like, dabbing heroin, though? Was it, it, it was like a lifesaver for me. It probably saved my arms because my arms were like twice as thick as they should have been, just infected with all the shit, no veins to shoot into. Right. And... Uh, I was just smoking it and getting extremely high from the dab because it's just a bong load of fucking heroin smoke. Right. Yeah. So. Holy shit. Yeah. I, I mean, at one point, I thought my arms were going to be amputated. I never went to the doctor because it's like, you know, you go to a doctor or a hospital like that, they're going to be like, okay, calling the cops. They call the cops on you because you're so obviously a crazy heroin addict? Right. I mean, that's, the, that's what I was thinking. But they can't know. lock you up for just being a junkie, right? No. Not, not anymore. I mean, I think they used to kind of do that more often, mm. and, but things, laws have changed and shit's been changing over the years. And was, was fentanyl not really on the scene during not, your time in the sun? Not really. I mean, I can recall a few times in Portland when I first heard about it, like a cancer patient had it, sold us some patches. We cut the patches and then put the liquid under our tongues and just be fucked up for like two days. Really? Yeah. It's it's so intense and it's so scary. Like that that's the new thing on the scene. Right. Everybody wants it. It's so cheap and so much more powerful. Like everybody wants it, but everybody's dying. Because when you yeah, like because you're you're involved now with like people who are in recovery and everything. Do you see you know nine people who are fucked up off fentanyl for every person who's just doing straight heroin? Isn't it like super hard to get heroin at this point? Yeah, I mean, like fentanyl is literally in every drug now. It's like in meth. It's in weed. It's in like just because that addiction of like the you start you need to come back to that drug dealer to get that drug 
So that's so a guy who's selling weed will sprinkle fentanyl in his weed to to To, get you to come back. Yeah, yeah. And so you're telling me that if I fill a blunt with weed that has this fentanyl stuff, that's gonna get me extra fucked up, and then I'll be craving it. Potentially get you addicted over time. Yeah, like over it. Wow. Yeah. It, it doesn't take long for you to like have that craving and like to start feeling withdrawal and stuff. You think anybody's ever like started a Chinese food restaurant and just started putting fentanyl on the orange chicken and just be like, motherfuckers are going to keep coming back for this? Possibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure everything's been done. So. People say that all the time, like, oh, I swear that fucking ramen noodles that had crack in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what, probably like, not true, but like what I do with like work now is, is main, like, it's called overdose data to action. So, like, I, I see all the data for all this stuff and mm-hmm. like, the fentanyl right now during COVID has gone up. Like I think it was like 225 percent. Wow. The use in Nevada. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely the main drug on the scene right now. But like when you hear about somebody, you know, taking a fucking Percocet that really just had mad fentanyl in it or whatever, doesn't it kind of like go against the aims of the drug dealer? Because if you are selling fake pills, wouldn't you still not want the people taking them to die? Yeah, ideally you'd want them to... You'd want them to yeah, live and continue to right. buy from you. So like how, how do they end up... Is it just because like the process by which they're making the bad drugs is like fucked up so there just might be too much in one, one yeah. of the pills and not much at all in one of the other pills? Or? Yeah, it's just like at home pill press shit and right. like no one knows it's not like regulated it's like just super scary but yeah i mean you ideally you want your customers to come back but right. it's such a huge problem there's always going to be more customers it's like mm. oh, yeah, that guy died there's five more people to replace him like right yeah so at a certain point by the time you get really into this where's your family at where what happened to all your bmx friends by this point did you feel like everybody just sort of wrote you off and just forgot about you or what was that like um i'm i'm sure there's a little bit of that uh but for the most part i i separated myself from my family and my friends obviously like stuck around with my family longer because they were would kind of like help me out sometimes with money I didn't. I couldn't like ask friends for money. Like it's about BMXers. No one has money. So and I'm not gonna go rob my BMX friends. These are like family to me. Uh-huh. So I just kind of slowly fade away. A few of my bike rider friends were doing drugs with me, and we kind of just closed ourselves off. And then more new people came in, and those BMXer friends would go away. And then I was just surrounded by all drug addicts. Right. Yeah. It's crazy because. I was someone who only knew of you as like a guy in videos and magazines. Yeah. And yeah, it was like a conversation that we would kind of frequently have because we didn't really have like the actual knowledge about what happened to you. We had just sort of heard, oh, that guy's fucked up on pills. And so we wouldn't, you know, it would just be that conversation like, what the fuck happened to that Ryan Mills guy? Oh, I heard he's all fucked up on pills now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, we would have that conversation, but it wasn't like the, the media wasn't really like, covering it it wasn't like now with social media where if there was somebody who was in a bad place like that then i feel like it, you know the people on instagram would end up kind of having that conversation about him it would be a bit more evidence of like oh that's what that guy looks like now so maybe he's not doing so good you know it being like the early 2000s there wasn't a lot of that it was more like yeah. just word of mouth like ryan those ain't doing too good i remember uh somebody like googled me because like they heard that I rode BMX or whatever that I was hanging out with. I think I didn't even have a phone at this point, but like they popped up, they put my my name with BMX and 
an old BMX board forum came up and it was about me disappearing. Oh, and I think I, was, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, uh, this is insane. I was like, I had no idea. And I just kind of shut it off and didn't think about it again. But right. I remember seeing comments of like, oh yeah, he, he lives under a bridge. Like he lives in a cardboard box now and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, damn, that's great. How do people even know this shit? Because like I was right. homeless and I was fucking doing drugs and just like wasted. When did you actually become homeless though? Uh, that was like, Mm. I would say around 2012, I lost my apartment and I start in, but th at that time there was like the real estate, you know, crash. So there was tons of foreclosed houses everywhere. Mm. So I wasn't like homeless to the fact where I'm on the street, but I was like just hopping house to house. You didn't own the homes that didn't you were staying. Yeah, <laughs> but I was just like going into like homes with no power and just inhabiting until like i kicked out basically right. so i mean maybe like once or twice i actually slept on the street i remember sleeping in a closet a couple times like in an alleyway but yeah it was a different kind of homelessness i guess it was Damn. like a survival so at that point though had like your ability to you know go out and do these stealing missions at that kind of did that ever go away at a certain point because you're so fucked up that you kind of couldn't really keep it together enough to even pull this shit off um well yeah uh it, it, and it's also extremely tiring to do mm. and uh i had i ended up at one point renting an office probably like 2015 for like 200 dollars a month that i was living in oh. i just told him it was my art studio and so i just lived in there and i started like selling heroin and met this girl through selling heroin that was like basically a high-end prostitute and I ended up, and she had like a giant house on a golf course, and I ended up just going over there all the time, and then ended up hooking up with her, and then we ended up dating, and so I like lived in this mansion, like the last part of my addiction. Right. But like she was just out getting money from like this really uh, extremely rich dude. So she would go out and, and get money all day so that she could then do drugs with you? Yeah. That but actually like, sounds like a pretty great arrangement, it, given yeah, where you were. No, it was yeah. great, and she had <laughs> <laughs> she had like ten thousand dollars a month, like guaranteed for us a month every month, and we just go get drugs and gamble. Sometimes she'd win a shit ton of money, sometimes she'd lose it all in like a day or two. Right. But it was like I didn't have to steal as much then, so it was like kind of nice. But then when she would run out, I'd have to go on missions. But I'd be driving a Range Rover to go to these spots to steal shit. Wow. Yeah. Were you during all this? Were you kind of haunted by the idea of what could have been in terms of your bike riding career as well as just your life in general? Or are you so far gone in this environment that it's hard for you to even, you know, really think about what could have been? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it would be like fantasizing about it, like what would have happened. And like, I, I knew at a certain point I was just like killing myself, but I just couldn't stop it. But I was like i started stealing bikes a lot like out of stores just riding them out and I bet every once in a while i'd get like a bmx bike for fun you can't get a lot of money off of that at like a bike shop yeah just like well like a, a like a bigger store okay. yeah like walmart a couple times and like dick's or sports chalet or you something. ride it out yeah, like out the just, fucking exit <laughs> yeah just and i'd also like strap a backpack full of electronics from there too wow. and like just ride out and i'd try and get like the most expensive mountain bike but like I would be able to get away from everybody because I still had like the BMX like mm. in my head and I could like bunny hop shit and just like hop over walls. I got away from cops a few times like that. Like then I started making it a point to get a BMX bike 
because I could like control it more. And it was like my getaway vehicle. That is pretty crazy when you really think about the fact that like BMX riders spend all these years and all this time learning to do all this really difficult stuff on bikes that is completely useless for anything besides looking cool or yeah. making something that looks tight. But then you know, you think about it, if you were on your bike and you were being chased by the cops and there was a 20-stair rail in front of you, right. that tw that rail all of a sudden a becomes the away. absolute fastest way <laughs> yeah. that you are going to, like, if this was a movie, like, you are out of there. Like, they, yeah. they're not going to be able to get down those stairs anywhere near as fast yeah. as you just There's got down no those stairs. Way. And yeah. you don't have pegs, so it's kind of irrelevant for right. you, but, but I could that sort of it, thing. You know? yeah. And, yeah. It's and like, I did do that. I, had, I would have, like, security bikes chasing me, cop bikes chasing me off of, like, UNLV campus, mm. and I'd just be... Whew, cutting corners hopping walls right cops come ditch the bike just walk away go get a new bike did you ever make any serious effort to get clean during all this or was there never um, even attempts really there was people trying to get me clean like my parents would try every once in a while and i just didn't want anything to do with it because i knew how hard it was going to be right i did try at one point uh suboxone which is like a uh, opioid withdrawal blocker how was so, that uh, it worked the first time and it was like for a couple days and then I just got back on heroin because it was just like rough and then The second time I tried it if you take it too early before you're withdrawing You go into like crazier withdrawals really? and so I never touched it again after that because it, it fucked me up bad Like for a whole day. I was just like dying puking shitting everywhere. Wow. Yeah But yeah, that was pretty much the only attempts I went to jail a few times uh, for like six months at a time and would get clean in jail, like cold turkey it out. You couldn't get shit in jail? No. Well, every once in a while you could, but like not really. Not like a consistent you, thing. Yeah. You can't be like a real drug addict. Yeah. yeah. You can get shit in prison, but jail is like a little oh, okay, harder right, right. and le more rare and just more snitches and like just mm. stuff like that. But uh, but what would that be like getting clean for six months? Would you have? Would you be thinking like I'm gonna be good once I get out? Uh, two times I was just like, okay, I'm fucking gonna stay clean. Um, a few times I was like, cannot wait to get out to get high. Uh -huh. But like, and I'd instantly you know hook up and get something. But like the two times where I did like like a three month stint, I came out and I was like, all right, cool, I'm good. And then like two days later, it was over. And I did a six month stint and was like healthy again and like came out and was like, all right, I'm good. I'll just do meth this time. <laughs> and instead of heroin. Instead right. of heroin. And then, but were you already then, on meth at that point? Yeah, I was already okay. on meth, but like doing both. And I was like, I'll just do meth this time and not get uh, physically addicted to anything. And then that just like quickly was like, oh, I'll take a hit of that. Right. You know, whatever. Yeah, what, what what was the meth side of all that? Like, it, it sounds like the heroin was like the real deadly addiction for you, yeah. but then meth was like just the sort of thing you meth layer was, on top yeah. of it. I mean, meth was just like always around. Like the people always had it. No one cared to share it. Like they wouldn't care like, about sharing it. Like take a hit, yeah, whatever. So you can just like get high all the time. Right. Heroin, nobody wants to share it because it's like this is like my shit. Like this is like keeping me alive. It's your for life the force. Day. Yeah, this is like, like, the only thing keeping me alive. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I'm not sharing this shit. Every once in a while, people would, but like, it was, it was like, yeah, you're not touching this. Wow. So, like, the meth was just like everywhere. So, like, if I didn't have it in the morning and I'm like, fuck, I gotta go get some shit, I'd hit someone's meth and fucking be out the door. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, when, when did you really hit rock bottom that made you decide that you needed to change? Like, how did this happen? Uh, well, it was my, well, it'd be like the last time I was in jail. It was like another six month stint. And, 
2013 2015 yeah and i was like okay well i'm fucked right now like i had no like release date and i was just sitting there waiting for a court date and And this was another shoplifting arrest uh this was like yeah i had like a credit card and i was getting gift cards at walmart and cops came in i got paranoid and i ran and then they fucking came and tackled me and uh took me in and i went in and I was just like, fuck, I, I'm so fucking tired of this shit. And this is like another time it's going to suck where I'm underneath a bench and booking, fucking withdrawing. And then like they took me to the medical unit and saw a couple of my homies in there. They're like, oh, man, I'm getting bailed out. I'm like, I'm, f- I'm fucking staying this time. I don't fucking care. Like I'm not even trying to get bailed out or anything. I'm just chilling here. And you I were ch- over it at that was, point. Was, what, oh, you yeah, you just, thought that life on the outside was going to be that painful that you just yeah. didn't weren't eager to get back like, to it? Yeah, I was just like, what the fuck ever. I'm just going to chill and see what ha- see how long I'm about to get, like, whatever happens, happens. And, like, four months into that, like, the court, uh, back and forth to court, uh, let's, like, stand up, sit down, arraignment, go back to jail, another month, go back. And they're like, okay, we decided we're going to give you three years in prison. I was like, fuck, <laughs> I was uh-huh. like, three years, fuck, dude. All right, well, can I get bailed out still? Because I was going to go on the run. And there was like, oh, yeah, no bail. Uh, this is it. So I was like, fuck. I went back to the cell. I was like, this sucks. Like, I'm fucked. And then, like, you know, a month, another month goes by, and I'm, like, waiting to get out of prison, basically. And the phone rings, and they're like, it's the public defender asking for me and so I can get on the phone they're like oh we can actually give you drug court um it's like a counseling thing you have to like pay this certain amount of money you have to like do UAs like urine analysis like every day for like a year you're on probation house arrest sober living all this shit I was just like fuck that because I've heard drug court stories where it's like impossible right to go through you have to basically it's like being in prison because you have to be doing so many different things yeah Yeah. you're basically set up to fail for most people because if you don't have a support system you're not going to get it also that. sounds crazy because like why would they be eager to put you into that position instead of just you, it yeah. just seems so unlikely that yeah. you would comply given how right. 14 arrests or whatever right yeah. and i'm just like also thinking fuck maybe i take it cut the house arrest bracelet and just go on the run and just get high and then go to prison <laughs> for three years you know? right. and uh i ended up like calling my mom and she was just like why don't you just try it just like give it a Valiant effort and just try it. I was just like, because I was like already straight for like five months at that point. I was just like, okay, I'll fucking try it then. Whatever. Like, they're like, we'll help you out and whatever, get you on your feet. And so I got out and uh, started doing it. And I was house arrested at an actual, like, a drug house. Like, I had them hide all the drugs. The cops went and inspected it and they let me stay there because I didn't really have anywhere to go. Like my parents were like helping me, but not like you can't. But that's you can't where stay you'd here. have to do so, the house inspection. So I, yeah, so I did the house inspection at this kind of like drug flop house. Uh, ended up getting there, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll we'll keep the drugs out of here." Blah blah blah. Like the next day, everyone's doing heroin around me. I'm just like sitting there watching, just like fuck. That sounds like it would be literally impossible. Yeah, it was. That, like, you you can't just like quit heroin and the next day you're watching somebody do heroin, right? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it. I mean, I was just like, okay, well, I can't do it. And like a week goes by, and I'm just like fucking over it. I'm like, fuck, this is so shitty. I'm, I'm cutting this fucking bracelet off my leg. And just like one of my homies walked in the door. He's like, and I told him that. I was like, I'm about to cut this shit. And he's like, 
do not fucking do that. He's like, you need, we need somebody in this fucking neighborhood to fucking show us that it's possible to get, get out of this shit because he had been through NA and AA a few times and just kept coming back. Right. And I was just, and that like gave me like this inspiration and spark and flame to like do it. And I was just like, okay. The next day, the the probation officer comes over and there's just like eight people in there shooting up, like doing meth, doing all, like all the stone shit in the house. And they take me back to jail. They're like, you knew the rules, like you can't be around drugs. I'm just like, well, this is all the only place I got. And so they took me back for three more weeks, put me back out on the street in, in a sober living house, which like added to my like pain because I'm just like, fuck, I got to pay $600 a month extra now and mm. like do house arrest and be compliant and then get like whatever job a fucking person with a felony has. But is the sober living house a better environment for getting clean than it, the actual active trap house? It, well, yeah, definitely better, but it also can be just as bad because all those dudes are also drug addicts that might just relapse or, you know, a few people did and they just get kicked out of the house, which was like the only good part. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it was, it was rough. And I did that for a couple months until like, it was just like too much for me. And I ended up getting, my dad owns a couple apartments in Vegas. So he let me stay in one while I got a job. And, uh, I just started like, uh, asking for bikes. I was like, I need a fucking bike and got a bike and started like riding on the weekends with like old friends that I used to ride with. And like that just started like becoming slowly my thing again of passion and love and like getting good feelings out of. And I'm just like, I need this shit. And so I just go out every fucking weekend. Really? And I was like 200 pounds. Like when I went into jail, I was 130 pounds. And what are you now? Like 130, 140 I'm, or something? No, I'm like 165 oh, probably. Okay. Yeah. And so I put on like all this weight and then 200. I'd love to see fat Ryan Mills. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Pretty, I don't I got, know if I ever seen those I got photos. A photo. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's interesting that BMX like immediately sort of like it, it left your life during the addiction and then it just it was right there waiting yeah. for you once you uh, yeah. got over it. Yes, yeah, it was crazy how it worked. And I, I fucking could not ride at really? all. I couldn't air out. It had all gone away. Quarter pipe. I was just like the, fir- the first time I got a bike, I bunny hopped 360 while I was like waiting to do a piss test and fucking ate shit in the parking lot and broke my hand. I was broke just like, it. yeah, broke my hand. I was just like, fuck. Like this wow. is, but this time my injuries I, I don't take pain pills I'm just like alright well I'm just gonna sit in pain but like you know it's not bad right. so it, you know all this time I'm taking these pills thinking uh, I'm, my excuse is oh I'm in pain I'm in pain my knee hurts so I broke my wrist I gotta have right. it I gotta have it I gotta have it now it's like uh, you heal faster and you fucking it's not even bad pain after like a week. You, know? you heal faster if you don't take the painkillers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it really just kind of slows you down and slows the process. T- takes your bone density away, like heroin and opiates. Makes it like, so like my bone density is still probably pretty fucked up from all the damage I've done to it. So I, I break pretty easy, I think. Uh-huh. So I kind of like have to tone my bike riding down a little bit, but still you know, do what I can do. What would you describe as the real like motivation that kept you from going back because yes you're getting into riding bikes again on the weekend and that's becoming very important to you and stuff but it just feels like with if you don't really have that much that's filling your days necessarily that's going to be really hard for you to stop yourself when you do have that that doubt when your brain starts telling you like no fuck it just do it right like you have to have something that's rooting you to reality to avoid that right yeah well the one of the biggest things was the three years of prison and Mm. and getting like a felony attached to my name one of the conditions was they're going to reduce the felony when i 
uh, finished drug court mm -hmm. and I did all that and they so I don't have a felony so but that was like a major thing because like when you have a felony you're kind of fucked for a lot of shit right so but and then just like my family being there and friends seeing my nieces and nephews and stuff is like stuff I couldn't do right because they didn't want me around damn so that that like were you sort of able to like open up and become a lot more of a person once you started to really like take a step away from the drugs because like something like that like not being able to see your nieces or your parents or whatever like a lot of people listening it's like almost probably hard for them to imagine choosing something over those sort of relationships but i mean right. once that drug is really taken over your life i mean a lot of stuff just goes to the wayside right yeah no it it the whole experience obviously changed me as, as a human being for sure i you know don't take advantage of days anymore i became a lot more humbled than I was because of, you know I was just like oh I'm a fucking on top of the world like bike rider I can do whatever the fuck I want and it was like a big like smack me back down to earth like going through all this stuff but yeah just like uh, you just grateful for each day that you wake up and have people to smile with and you know that's it when did you hit a point where you felt like I'm not tempted anymore. Like I'm, there's no chance of me going back. And do you feel like that now, or do you feel like, yeah, if things were to really go badly in your life, that you could see yourself going back? No, I'm, I'm at a point where that that shit is never entering my life again. Um, I don't know the point of where I first thought that though. It's, but like it's evol evolved into it now, and this is I'm almost five years clean. Mm. So it's taken a while, but like, I mean, I. It's it's tough. Like sometimes I'll like sit and think about it and fantasize about it, and but it's never to the point where I'm like I'm gonna go fucking get this shit. Right. But it's just like a quick thing. It's interesting the way you describe how much like riding bikes means to you now because I guess like you know you being my age and like us being out riding together and stuff and I just see like a level of energy in terms of your riding or a level of like really giving a fuck that. It is kind of something that I'm just not used to seeing from somebody who's been riding for so long. Like, you're used to seeing the 18-year-old kid who's pro and he's just killing himself and going crazy because he's, you know, he's 18, doesn't know anything better. This is what he's good at. He's just going for it. But it's like a different type of energy once you hit, you know, 36, 37 years old because a lot of people, you know, you, you get to that point and, you know, it's just doing a bike trick doesn't seem like the most important thing in the world. Or like, never mind doing like your hardest bike trick that is gonna you know put your life on the line or whatever. But with you, it's like you very much get that level of passion and dedication where it's like, no, this guy really cares about riding bikes enough that he's you know it means something more to you than it means to the average person. Right. Yeah. It's like a definitely like a therapy session. Um, it, it helps to like push myself to a different level. Like, or you know, not every time I go ride, but like. Mm. I want to like keep improving and like see improvements and like that's why I got Instagram was like my my video journal like of like to see my progression like I wasn't like a I need to fucking get Instagram so I can get sponsors and shit like that it was just like I just want to see where I was and like have it there right but uh, when I first started riding again or before I even started riding again in jail I, I like had like a list of goals and I was just like bike was like the fifth thing down like well I could maybe get on a bike again you know whatever but it seemed impossible and I was just like the level of shit these days and I was just like why would I even try but get on a bike again like 
did you want to like just get to the point where you're able to like learn tricks again or just to have fun just, in your yeah, bike like what see, was it yeah just to see what i could still do and like but you know a lot of shit in my head i was just like back and forth like you're too old you're you can't do it uh, it's like it's past you now like it's kind of pointless but it's like literally saving my life right so, yeah but yeah i mean i and there's like other little goals too just like one of them was like oh, i want to try and get in a magazine again mm. and when i got out of jail magazines ended so <laughs> yeah like, right around that i was huh? like well fuck that but like so the, trying to do like the equivalent of that now like fuck out see if i can do a video part right i was we i mean you pulled me onto oss and mm -hmm. we're like let's do a video you know i'm just like okay because i was literally talking to kyle carlson uh like maybe a couple months before that i was like i want to do a video part let's film one like over the next year or whatever right so, like see what we can do and then like you're like oh you want to come on this trip i'm like Fuck yeah. Yeah, because you did say you were like, that's the most, or you said that was the first trip that you had been on riding-wise, or it was the yeah, most you had ridden for a long-ass yeah, time? Yeah, pretty much. And it was like, I'd done a couple, like, Golden Day trips with Nate, and just like... Shout out little, Nate. Yeah, shout out Nate, big time. Because uh, he, he pulled me back into the riding scene, too, like, a lot. Right. But, uh, yeah, the, the OSS trip was like, well, also it was just like right after I had COVID, and oh, yeah. so I was just like dying and riding every we're like riding 10 hours a day I right. was just like I, I hadn't tested myself that many days of like riding in a row normally it's like two or three days and a day off or whatever and we just went hard every day and I was just like okay I'm kind of getting to the point where I think I might be dust and then the last day all of a sudden came around and I was just like still riding I was like okay I can handle that. That's cool. Yeah, that was a fucking crazy ass trip for me, honestly, too. Just being in the bike riding environment for that many days in a row, because at, at this point in my life, it's like I'm used to like going out riding one day a week or, you know, here and there and having that full day of riding. And that in its own is very exhausting. And yeah. then to like do it for like seven days straight, it was kind of like, oh, like I'm not so different than I was when I was 18, <laughs> where I could just do this every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of eye opening and pretty cool. And then we went to Denver and kind of did the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm I'm hanging with the little the boys still. <laughs> like I can still hang a little bit. Yeah. I mean, my shit's not like the level. I mean, some of it is, but most of it's not. Like I'm not like hucking myself and shit. You've been going but, crazy, but do you? Yeah, like hucking is a a good way of putting it. Like, yeah. do you sometimes think about doing the absolute craziest shit that you can imagine, or are you more focused on like having a bit of longevity and not necessarily wanting to, you know? Yeah, I want to crutches for six months. Yeah, or whatever. I, want it, I want it to last long. Some of it's like I don't. Sometimes I'm like I just want to make my heart beat really fast. So mm -hmm. let's fucking do it. But I think every spot that I go to, I'm just always thinking like I could probably do this. But most of the time, like the wiser me is like let's just hold back on this one. Then wait for a different spot. Like mm -hmm. let someone else get something here, and we'll just move on, and something will come around. Definitely. But, yeah. So how did you get working with the sober living stuff or uh, the rehab stuff that you work with now? So crazy. It's like, so when I, f when I first started writing again, uh, Kyle with Vital, like did like a little piece on me, like he's writing again type mm -hmm. of thing. And I ended up getting this company, Fend, in Australia hit me up and they're like, hey, you want to advocate for us or like a opioid against opioid thing? I was like, sure, whatever. And then they uh, they sponsored the, the last Warp Tour and gave me tickets, like backstage passes to the Warp Tour and shit. So I went to the Warp Tour in Vegas 
and ended up meeting this girl that came to see what they were up to. And I was just like, hey, uh, I want to like try and get something in the realm of like counseling or help like, give back or whatever, like see what I can do. And she had seen the vital piece or something. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, uh, here's my card. So I emailed her that night. And I was like, just let me know if, you know, if there's anything that opens up. And like a week later, she's like, yeah, there's, people are doing a documentary um, about, you know, they're, they're into your story. And there's a few other stories involved. And so I just was like, okay, let's do that. So did this documentary and people from the state saw it. And in the documentary, it says like Ryan is like seeking employment, like trying to give back. And like a week later, I get an email from somebody from the state of Nevada. It was like, hey, we, we have a position for you. So they basically like created a position for me to like kind of just have a job with them and it was like intense <laughs> that must feel like, crazy given that you were this like local menace for all these years that right. like for the cops like i can't even imagine what it'd be like to be a cop that's seen you a million times and then yeah. to realize that you're kind of on his side now yeah and what like one of the so I, I went to jail from that walmart getting cards but like i had a warrant still for an arrest because i stole a backpack from a casino and it was, ended up being a politician from Nevada's backpack, and I had all his, like, laptops and iPads and And it shit. was just, what, sitting by some just, table was, or something? Yeah, he just... walked out of a cafe, and I, he just left it there, so I just went up and grabbed it, and it had all, all this shit in it. I was like, oh, sick. Whoa. And they fucking tracked me down with, like, eight cops in a helicopter, and I tried running then, <sighs> and it was, like, just crazy. Whoa. But, like, the ironic part is, is, like, I stole a fucking, polit like, government, uh, Nevada government official computer you're and thinking now, like and now, i got some laptops yeah and now <laughs> now they gave me a computer to do work so right. it's like a whole like weird full circle thing of that like, is crazy it's, it's crazy but wow yeah so what kind of work do you actually do and what capacity are you dealing with people who have these issues um i mean we do a lot of like just like we work with partners and like fund different things like coalitions in vegas like needle exchanges and like mm. other kind of like uh uh, harm reduction type of things and also like right now like the the closest i'm going to be getting to like talking to actual addicts is we're doing like some survey interview stuff like trying to see where addicts are at what if they, what they know about like what we have for resources and like so i'm going to be like talking to actual people and getting information so that we can get it more widely known that that things have kind of been changing the stigmas like been changing of like a drug addict um it's like don't be embarrassed to like admit that you are one because you can get help if you do right. admit it so it's kind of like that that's interesting because that that is one big shift that like we would like to see taking place in society where we are stopping treating people who are addicted to drugs like criminals and start treating them like people who are sick that need care and help right yeah like are you seeing like our government pick up on that attitude a bit i mean yeah definitely and them just having enough trust in me and giving me a computer after that charge right is like kind of speaks loud about like how they're like okay we'll give you a fucking chance yeah so it's like you know they they want to like help people get back into society because that just makes everything run better you know I don't know. It's hard to explain it, but it's like it's super important, like weird, like underbelly thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, damn. So okay, like what what 
would be your advice to people watching this? Because I just like, there's been so many stories, like even in just the time we've been doing this podcast where we've just had different people who are on the show or in our vlogs or artists or whatever who passed from opiates or just drugs in general, like very early on in their life. Like what would be your advice to a young person who, you know, is watching this and maybe like sees your side of the coin, but then they also maybe don't think it's so bad or like what, what would be the general advice if you met some kid who, you know, thinks it's all good to pop Zans and drink lean and do whatever. Like what, how, how would you communicate with them about that? Um, I mean, obviously I, I would try and like, just be like, yeah, that's not the business. You know, mm -hmm. that's not cool. But like, on a deeper thought, I, I try and connect like to that person and have an actual conversation with them and like kind of tell them where I come from and where it goes and where it leads. I mean, like it's kind of typical, like I used to be a drug addict type of thing and you're going to fucking die. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, could die or whatever, but it's, I mean, there's just a lot more out there right now that can like help you get away from it if you are like struggling with it. I mean. Obviously, it's like the cool thing to do is like get fucked up and do whatever. But it's a lot of people, it becomes a, a problem. And that's like kind of in your DNA, like if it's going to be, become a problem or not. And you don't really know that until you're using. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know if, you, if it's if it's a problem and like you need help, reach out as soon, like the sooner, the better. Like, don't go fucking your whole entire life up and uh, just like lose everything but when, when you look at your whole process of addiction and stuff like a couple years into your addiction do you think that there's anything that anybody could have done to have stopped you like somebody who would put together a really well-formed argument or like right. really convincing or do you think that you really like once you were in the shit you were gonna have to see that shit until you were done like is it yeah well i mean that's kind of like Another thing I kind of leave a conversation with a person with is when you're ready, I'm here. You can hit me up and I can help you guide you in a direction you need to go mm -hmm. because I know that you aren't going to do anything until you want to do it until it's like such a problem. And a lot of people don't even get to see that point because they either pass away or they go to prison for some crazy sentence and don't get lucky like me and get a drug court offer, you know? So it's, uh, you, you definitely have to be ready yourself and uh, hopefully like shit like talking like this in front of people like kind of people can learn from it but I, don't know, I had to learn from myself so yeah I heard somebody say one time that like you know society gets the drugs that it deserves like pe people get the drugs like you know drugs become popular in cultures because there is something missing from that population and like when you talk about america and the opiate addiction i think a lot of it seems like the kind of drug that's like perfectly suited for people who you know a, a, a whole population who feel kind of useless feel like life itself like there's not a whole lot to to care about you know in a lot of ways in our society you know we've kind of like turned away from like you know relationships or, or mm -hmm. you know we definitely turned away from you know the church and stuff like that like there's not a lot of institutions really like holding people together to yeah. give their life meaning and stuff and i say that as a lifelong atheist but like would you agree to that to some certain extent that like in a lot of ways opiates are kind of like the answer like, to yeah, how yeah, hopeless a lot of people yeah, feel it's an escape from that, those thoughts and like yeah. 
it makes you like cope with like what you're dealing with and you're just like okay i can i can live with this whatever mm. i'm fucked up but it's not, it's not just in those societies and those cultures it's it's literally everywhere mm. it's like you know i know i knew i sold drugs to lawyers i sold drugs to doctors i sold drugs to like everybody and was like you know it there wasn't it's obviously more in certain cultures but it's everywhere at the same time mm. so everyone you know the the addiction thing is just doesn't really care where you're born who you're brought up with it's just in there right when when you think about or when you're like in that environment with like a bunch of BMX riders and you know obviously if you have a bunch of BMX riders they're probably drinking and smoking a lot of weed mm. I get the idea that that doesn't really bother you to be around at all no I mean people are going to be people and if you're fucking, you know, shooting up heroin in front of me, I'm not gonna be bothered by it. I'm gonna like try and help you, maybe. But like, I'm not. I'm not here to fucking judge anybody. Like, I've been through it. Like, I know everyone's just a person. And like, under all that masking of drugs and alcohol, and it's just, you know, I don't know. It's, I I don't look at people differently, and I'm strong enough to like not be influenced by someone else doing something like that right so i'm rather been there no yeah i just think it's dope or i mean this is interesting because i feel like a lot of people have like a really hard time like people who quit drinking and they can never be at a house party where people are drinking like yeah. to some serious extent again that's just kind of interesting yeah. to me that you seem like you've gotten to the point where you have enough resolve that that doesn't really affect you right yeah well and i have i mean my little vices help like cigarettes and yeah. like those never went away that never went away unless i was like in jail and then i got out it was immediate but like you know people buy a a bottle of beer i will go buy a bottle of coca-cola that's and, what you do yeah so i just have like a coca-cola i'm drinking with you but i don't need to get i've been there i don't need to do all that i did the most in that area so it's like mm. i don't need to do that shit definitely yeah um where do you see your life going from here is it i, I very much get the feeling with you that you're just like thankful as fuck to even to even be here like i get that vibe when i'm out riding with you where it's like that a lot of people seem consumed with what they're trying to make out of their life and like you're somebody who when you're out riding it very much feels like ryan's a guy who's just thankful as fuck to even be here at all yeah i well because i am yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean my future i obviously want to like achieve more and do stuff but i've also been down to the very lowest part of life and so i came from like a middle class and fucked that all off um and so learning the being broke type of thing made me see like money isn't everything mm. obviously you need money to live but I'm comfortable even now where I'm at, like if this is as far as I go, like I'm comfortable, but I have like ambitions to definitely keep moving up in the space I'm in. And if I move up in bike riding, so be it, but I don't care mm. type of thing, but I just want to go ride. Have yeah. you heard from a lot of people who are motivated or inspired by your story? Yeah, I, I think I, I pretty much get at least a DM like once a day from people. Wow. Yeah. Just like uh, my family's been there and shouting out like me talking about it because I'm pretty vocal about it on Instagram and and just life. I could think of people in the BMX world right now who are like, you know, very well-known pro riders that 10 years ago or whatever that we were looking at them like they were the shit. 
And then fast forward to now, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I would assume it's not good. I can think of people who pop up asking people for bikes. Like it, mm-hmm. I have like a couple of different BMX group chats, and like there's been people who would just pop up and 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 you know ask three or four different people. We'd all get the same DM around the same time trying to get a bike. Yeah. And we would all know exactly what it's about is that they're the person's fucked up and they're trying to get a bike to be able to sell it or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's crazy though to think that there's yeah. other people who. You know, you would be still, I guess, in those positions if you hadn't yeah. been able to make a break for There's it. There's a ton of people like that, especially in in the sport that we're in and like skating, extreme sports in general, sports in general, like just everything you can get injured in. Mm. The pain pill introduction is there, and that's such a consistent way that people get into it. So yeah, so many people's story, and it's uh, yeah, you're either an addict or you're not. Like. So. I think like putting that idea into people's heads before they actually like, you know, I would want to tell my kid over and over throughout their life, pain pills, like you might at some point you might get, have to get a surgery, you might have to do it, but this is like the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. But a lot of people, if they don't know that, like, like with, with your story, I mean, that's pretty terrifying that you were able to be on pain pills for years and years that nobody in any of these clinics or whatever really warned you about how bad it was and that you didn't have people like socially in your life telling you how bad it was i mean that's pretty unbelievable if you think about it by today's standards yeah but back then that was that was it today's standards is getting better doctors can't like over prescribe so much they can't do so many refills they can't do like Mm -hmm. so many pills at once they're offering physical therapy, other like acupuncture, other like methods of like, this is the only way, like mm. surgery and pain pills. Like, so it's getting better, but I don't know. Like if I was offered back then, like, oh, you can do physical therapy or do these possibly addictive drugs, I would have done physical therapy. Right, like when I think about being young and getting surgery when I was, you know, maybe in high school or whatever, there's definitely times I look back on when I think about like the first times that they ever had me on Valium or, you know, giving me Norcos or Vicodins or whatever. And, it, you know, it felt really fucking good. But it also like I didn't socially have this idea in my head of like, oh, you could just like get more of these and keep doing this. Yeah. Like that just didn't really like, you know, it wasn't a thing to me in my mind. Like when I, I was thinking about the other day. I don't think I even knew what Coke was in like high school. Like, I don't think yeah. by the time I graduated high school that I could have explained to you what cocaine was, which yeah. is probably like a really good thing. I don't think like a lot of kids these days necessarily have that luxury. Yeah. I think that a lot of drugs are just so on front street in our yeah. culture and stuff that it's kind of harder for them to not know about it. But I mean, it's also, if you listen to rap music, you might get the idea that Zans and Perks are this like fun thing you can do. Yeah. And that's certainly yeah. not the case. I definitely get a little turned off by those type yeah. of songs. I'm just like, uh, see, but. we were blowing your mind on that trip because we were playing every <laughs> rap song under the sun. And I could tell that certain songs you were just like, holy fuck, like this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely exposed me to some stuff. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is today's world. Right yeah. There. But yeah. yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. I guess. It's a balancing act. Yeah. Fuck. Um, all right, is there anything else we should talk about? Anything that you uh, want the world to know about this whole journey and everything? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. It's been a crazy-ass journey, man. Yes, just to, like, it's see, been a long one. I mean, just, just being somebody who's like, looking at you like you were the man in magazines and shit for so long, and then to be on trips with you and stuff and knowing that you've been through this fucking journey, I mean, it's pretty astonishing, to be totally honest. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just the fact that we're like the same age and that you've like had this big fucking chunk in the middle of 
your life in which you were just fighting this fucking demon and then to come out on the other side and still be able to ride bikes really good i mean that's pretty that's pretty shocking yeah i agree <laughs> definitely but yeah i don't know i mean i appreciate you talking no, to me i appreciate it too it's just i i felt like we had to have this this uh conversation because like there's definitely been times where you know we've all just been like hanging out in the van and you just started telling us some story where I could tell that everybody in the van was kind of like just immediately jolted back to the reality of like, oh, right. Ryan yeah. used to be on the craziest shit ever. I think one thing that you said that made me uh, sort of shocked in that regard was when you said, like you were talking about stealing and how the stealing addiction sort of almost took, the, it, it held on to you longer than the drug addiction where you kept stealing for a little while after you yeah. stopped doing the drugs. Tell me about that. Yeah. That, well, yeah, that was... Kind of unexpected. I didn't like. I didn't know like it was like that. But like, I was, I was like craving stealing still. Mm. I, I was in a sober living house. Like, but I was broke still too. So I had that mentality of like, I I can just get whatever I want if I just take it. Mm. So like, I would go steal from the get food or whatever. I, one day I was just like took another dude and I'm like, let's go fucking steal some. Like, let's get a rush. And so we went and stole some shit. But and did it work? Yeah, it worked, and then afterwards I was just like, I just risked three years of prison to fucking take some headphones. Right. Like, the fuck am I doing? <laughs> so like, kind of was a wake up call real quick. But yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes I'll just like forget that like the shit that became normalcy to me is totally insane to other mm -hmm. people, and I'll be just like saying shit, and people are just like taken back like wait what i'm like oh that's not normal to say yeah 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 we <laughs> all we all forget that ryan has this yeah story well, cause, uh, yeah because i'm kind of like back to normal yeah and i don't i'm not like a i'm not a person that wants to see harm done to anybody or like wants anyone to be fucked over because i've seen it so much in my life like i would never like steal from anybody i know i never i would never like want anyone to go through that shit right so i just like uh, just trying to be normal do you human. ever feel like do you feel like you still have to deal with the fact that people look at you i guess and judge you based on that stuff like for for me it seems obvious to you know the way we regard you is like this is amazing like ryan actually like had these hard times and beat it and now he's, he's doing so well for himself but is there an extent to which some people might still just look down upon you and not really care about the transformation and the growth oh definitely yeah i mean people will aren't going to trust it always because like people are just groomed to not trust drug addicts right you know and like he's just going to turn like i get that a lot he's going to do drugs again blah blah mm. blah. like he'll he'll go back uh but like yeah in the beginning it was it was tough like getting trust back from people but that was like an obvious thing that had to happen like maybe my own family just like i'm out to prove for fucking years to, that i'm just not going to do that like anything like that again but I mean, even there's just like, yeah, there's there's definitely people that wouldn't trust me, I think. Mm. But whatever. How, how do your parents, how have they perceived all this? I'm sure they're overjoyed, right? Oh, yeah. They are very overjoyed and they just, uh, it's, it's pretty intense. They, they, they wrote me off for dead, you know, at one point and to like have me back and is like just great. I put them through so much shit, Oof, yeah. you know, and like. I'm sure just so many nights of just like, where is he? Like mm. the times they felt safe, they knew I was in jail, they knew where I was. They're just like, okay. I know, like for your parents, it's crazy to think that they probably at a certain point had to write you off just for their own 
Yeah, they're, sanity. They're, they're, we're gonna get a call one day that he's dead. You yeah, know? and that was like a, I don't know, pretty shocking to hear when they told me that. I was just like, oh, fuck. Wow. Like, so I put you through some shit because you're putting everyone around you through shit. Like you're not just putting yourself through it. You're like putting everybody. A lot of my friends would check the jail to see where if I was alive still. Right. Like, yeah. Would you? Uh, what would you advise to somebody who? feels like they're in a position where they could use rehab or, or need to do something dramatic to get themselves off of uh, opiates or whatever. What, what would be your basic level of instructions that you could give them? Mm. Uh, well, it's kind of like a state-to-state -state thing. Like, so just look up, you know, whatever you can. Like, for the most part, if you're addicted to drugs, most likely you don't have health insurance. Try and get on state Medicaid or whatever kind of thing you can get on. And that way you can go to these rehabs for free and just like go handle it and do whatever amount of time and not be like financially worried about where you're gonna be at. Mm. But there's also like tons of other shit. Like right now it's like difficult because the COVID like there's no gathering. So like AA meetings are off the table. Mm. Um, a lot of rehabs are like limiting people coming in, but I mean, it's still possible to do it. But, you know, just it's a simple fucking internet search mm. to, like, get there. So, Do you do meetings, like AA-type meetings? Um, you weren't, like, an alcohol I, guy, right? But you Yeah, I AA or NA meetings, like narcotics. Oh, right, right. I, would, I would go because I was, like, mandated by court to go. Um, but it just wasn't for me so much. I didn't need that community of people. And, like, don't know if I trust it so much, like, because you're kind of putting yourself in a position where, you're going to make these friends that are going to uh, statistically fall off and go back out. Right. So, like, do you want to get invested in, like, a group of these people that are good right now, but you're going to likely see them die soon? Like, mm. so I, I went towards the BMX thing more. That's interesting. Yeah. Hobbies are extremely important, like, to keep your mind right. Right. And to have a community of people of, that do your hobby. Like, in any hobby you do, there's going to be a community around it. Definitely. No matter what. So. Yeah. Well, hey, man, it's a very, very inspirational story, and I'm thankful for you sharing it with us. And I feel like a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. I hope so. I really appreciate you having me on here to talk about it because it needs to be said. I talk about it a lot, and it's just like, I don't know. I feel like. I get a lot of good feedback for the most part. So the more I talk about it, the better. Definitely. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Ryan Mills. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Like, comment, subscribe. And uh, holler at Ryan on Instagram. He could use any positive comments, I'm assuming. He seems yeah. happy to deal with it. Yeah, hit me up. Hit him up. Appreciate y'all.